If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's first. Blubbity Blah. The Blubbity Blah. Sending out good vibes. Blubbity Blah. Good vibes. Blubbity Blah. Good vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes. Underneath breaths of deep gratitude and prayers for guidance and protection. And put on a didgeridoo and shamanic drumming track. Shivers or vibrations and stuff like that. Okay, guys, welcome back. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grimerica Show. Coming at you with a special bonus episode. Uh, we were able to get uh, Janice McAfee, McAfee, of course, wife of the late or presumed late uh, John McAfee, who we had on the show twice. One of our favorite interviews of all time, wise man. And uh, of course, there's some fishy stuff going on there with his body and investigations and what's going on. And uh, she hasn't got his remains yet. Hasn't got an autopsy report yet. So she kind of came on. We were, went for almost an hour and we were able to touch base for a nice intimate chat about uh, her and John. It was great. So, I mean, it was one of, probably one of the best interviews we've had in a long time. Yeah, yeah, especially how, I mean, we didn't expect her to get too personal, but, she, you know, she got into the story about how they met and uh, how they kind of began to form sort of a bond and some trust together and uh, really, really interesting sort of backstory about the whole thing. So we talked about all that and also about the foundation, um, John McAfee Foundation.org, about, you know, freedom, privacy, and technology that she's uh, that she started up, try and get, uh, get some some focus on getting his remains back and his autopsy report. So yeah, this is a fantastic chat. Yeah. We'll keep it at that. I mean, we're not going to do much here. Just a bonus one. We're just, just want to give you guys some context for it. Of course, if you like bonus episodes, you think we're doing a good job over here. If you're getting some value from the shows we put out, head over to America.ca slash support today and make a one-time donation, sign up for monthly, whatever you want to do. Cause our, 10-year anniversary of podcasting is coming up at the end of the month, June 1st, 10 years. What's that worth to you? Go America Outlawed.ca is where you can get our other podcasts if you want to go that route. But GoAmerica.ca slash support, guys. You know, if you like the what we're doing here, it's all free. It's all there. Sign up today. Make a one-time donation. Do what you can. You know, spam gram. Check out our trips. Contact at thecabin.com and our, all our audio books at adultbrain.ca. You know, I think that's about it. Anything else, Graham? I think that's about it. All right, guys, enjoy the chat with the one and only Janice McAfee. Janice, it's uh, good to see you again. Welcome back to Grimerica. How you doing? Oh, thank you for having me, Graham and Darren. How are you yeah. guys? Yeah, we're doing well. Yeah, it's good to talk okay. to you again. Okay. Yeah, Darren well, uh, Darren was kind of following some of your tweets and stuff, and, and we're like, we should talk to Janice and, and figure out what's going on. I mean, of course, the internet's full of, you know, conspiracies and rumors and all kinds of crazy stuff, so. Yes. 
Yeah. It is. Yeah. And, and before I forget our condolences for sure, you know, um, to you and our hearts go out to you. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's terrible. It was heartbreaking to get the news and, uh, and just so, you know, we had all been watching John for a while. So it was just sort of to see that come to, to that sort of end was, was sort of heartbreaking. And I'd imagine for you, well, obviously for you, it was, uh, it was, you know, a hundred or a thousand times worse than what any of the rest of us were feeling. Um, definitely. Um, you know, it's still, uh, obviously it's still very fresh for me, um, because I'm still dealing with trying to get his remains and all of that. So yeah, dev- devastating probably is the best way to describe. Um, and just a daily, I guess, kind of being reminded of it, you know, well, I maybe not reminded of it the best way, but just the incessant questioning from people, you know, is he alive? Are you sure you saw, you know, <laughs> did you see this body? Did you see this tattoo on him? Are you, you know, it's like, okay, you know, like all of these things that you're asking me that, you know, obviously social people on social media don't matter, right? They're, you know, doesn't, their opinions don't matter, but it does bother me because, um, you know, John was, obviously very active on Twitter and he was very active with people that followed him. You know, he would, you know, DM them or, or respond to people. And they weren't just, you know, him, they were actually well thought out responses. So he was actively engaged with his followers. And so there is um, a feeling of a responsibility a little bit to try to um, keep people up to date with those things. But I will say the questions that people ask me, I've literally obsessed about that since the time that he it was reported that he died and mind you i found out about that just like everybody else did you know online i didn't find out from the prison i didn't find out from his attorney his attorney didn't even find out from the prison we found out through google i was actually on twitter and um waiting for john's last phone call we spoke every day uh three times a day eight minutes for the phone call link and I had spoken to him twice already that day about the extradition, about what happened in court. Um, and so it wasn't a surprise to John. It wasn't a surprise to any of us. He had five attorneys working on his case at the time. And they were all, um, you know, were, everyone was under the understanding that they were going to grant the extradition. Right. This was obvious. And we also understood that he wasn't going to get extradited the next day, week, month or year. It was going to take some time. And so there was no desperation. You know, there was no change in his attitude from when I had spoke to him that day or or the previous week, you know, or even before that. He was the same steady John, you know, um, disappointed, obviously, with the decision. But like I said, it was expected. But um, anyway, so. On the day, on the 23rd, I was waiting for his third phone call, which would have come about 5 p.m. Spanish time. And I was on Twitter because I would collect headlines or or different stories or things that I thought would entertain him, you know, that he would want to know about. So that's kind of what I would keep him updated with what was happening in the world. And um, so that's what I was doing on Twitter. And I got a DM that said, I think it was in all capitals or something. I don't know, but it said, oh my God, tell me this isn't true. And so, you know, immediately my mind is like, okay, obviously what else could they be talking about other than John? And I just did a quick Google search of his name and sure enough, there it was. And that's how I found out that he, you know, he was dead. So who put it on there? Like who, who would have done that? The, I, the jail? I, I'm assuming the prison. Um, because obviously they would have had that information, but there that's not the only information that was leaked. You know, they, they talked about the suicide note um, or the alleged suicide note, which, um, and that was, that was again, leaked by them. Um, there, there's just, a, um, and I think some other things they spoke about that, that wasn't necessarily shared with us. Like the note was a big thing because that again was something that wasn't shared with us. It was taken straight to the press. So is that like a status thing? Because like from being from the over here in North America, that seems fucking crazy that a jail would be tweeting out or doing anything and probably illegal to notify anything before the next of kin are notified. I would assume it'd be the same in Europe. I'm, I'm assuming so. Um, you know, my attorney really hasn't 
uh, shared anything with me. I'm sorry. I'm a little on edge here. It's uh, it's infuriating. Um, so I'm trying to stay calm. And um, but um, yeah, I, I'm assuming just like you are that that would be illegal. That they shouldn't be allowed to do that. But John, being who he was, um, I guess something like that wouldn't have been able to be kept secret. But um, you would think that. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if there's any ramifications or anything like I can do about that. You know, I, I mean, it's it's out now. So I think it's just a matter of, you know, you have this celebrity in that prison. I don't know if that's common for them to have people of John's stature in their prison. So naturally, people are going to talk. Um, so maybe that's just just because of the unique circumstances, you know, of it being someone, um, a public figure like John. You know, and maybe obviously not standard practice, but because he was who he was. You know. Yeah, that's the thing. He he was so he was so great about just like you mentioned, you know, connecting with people in the DMs and stuff. And I mean, he would come on our show and our our friends show. Like he would just go around. He was very, you know, he he wasn't very um, uh, worried about like class levels or anything like that. You know, he would just go and he would just meet with the people and chat with the people. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would, he would, um, uh, he had the common touch, if you will. I'd like to say that a lot because he did, you know, even in the prison, uh, when I was, I was allowed to go and, and pick up his belongings and the, uh, I guess it was the the supervisor over all the guards. He was actually in the, um, in the office when I went in to, you know, to go over paperwork and just to, you know, collect his belongings. and. He said, you know, he was explaining to my attorney how how well liked John was, um, basically how good of a, a rough prisoner he was, you know, basically, you know, he was kind of exemplary in that. And he was always upbeat and always wanting, trying to make everybody, you know, comfortable or smile or or things like that. And, and he also said that he was surprised and everyone was surprised at what happened because there was no change in his demeanor when he came back from court. Right, like he right. was still the same John that they knew him to be over the, you know, the months that he had been there with them. Right. So they were very shocked um, at his death. Do you want to, so can we get into some of the, the details? Like, did you, so you did see his body? I did see his body. Yes. Yeah. And the suicide note you, you didn't think was, was real? Um, no, I, I just had a few, there was just the writing, the handwriting was problematic. Um, and it just seemed that it was maybe edited in a way to make it uh, come across more dark than maybe it was me- intended to be, maybe. Right. Um, because I just feel like, well, let me first say this. When John was in prison, obviously he was tweeting from, you know, he was tweeting from prison. Well, um, and I, that was me. I was tweeting, you know, having his tweets. He would read them to me. So he would write them down and naturally keep it in his pocket. So that's not, I'm just saying that to say it's not out of the ordinary that they would have found this, you know, piece of paper in his pocket. Was it written by him? I'm not sure. Again, the handwriting looked a little problematic to me. Um, but to me as well, it just read like a tweet, something that he probably would have had me tweet tweet out. Um, when I talked to him, because mind you, he would have just come back from court, you know, and, and maybe that's what was on his mind to say, not to say that he wouldn't have had something more to say, you know, and that was just it. And then if we're going to talk about whether or not he actually did this, you know, I mean, I can put myself in that mindset and say, okay, if he actually felt that desperate and there was no other choice, you know, he had hours, right. He went to court in the morning. And that, and that would have been hours to write a proper goodbye, to say something John McAfee style. I think we all know him well enough to know that if that's what his choice was, I would have respected that. And he would have went out on his own terms, meaning it would have been something epic that he would have asked me to tweet out or something. Right. This is right. what he would have had. A, a goodbye, a proper right. goodbye. You know, That's just his style. You know, at the very least, I can't see him not waiting another hour and just you know getting one more phone call in and letting you know i can't see him blindsiding you with it no not at all 
Not at all. And so that's that's I mean, and then not to mention obviously the um, you know, the tweet and him saying, you know, I would never hang myself or anything like that. So we have that as well. And so obviously that's very important. And he um he felt the need to have that tweeted out because obviously he was very vulnerable in prison. You know, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but I watch a lot of mob movies. Okay. And so prison and hospitals are the easiest places to have somebody watch. And John, you know, would speak about that as, you know, very often. So he understood that. And I think um, preemptively, in case someone was thinking about doing something to him, you know, he wanted to have that information out there. Yeah. You know, that I'm not suicide, suicidal, you know, and it was not his first rodeo being in prison um, in a foreign country or, or not in America. You know, obviously he had a DUI in America, but he'd been to, you know, jail in, in Guatemala and Belize. Um, in Mexico when he was younger. So he, he knew how to handle himself, you know, um, and, and obviously there were, there was an adjustment when he first went in there, there was a bit of an adjustment that he had to, to make, but for the most part, um, you know, he stayed kind of even keel. I wouldn't say upbeat, but he was, he was managing the situation you know, managing as best he could, you know. Sounds like it was a weird coincidence that he had court that day then. I mean, is that something that... It sounds very convenient. Not a coincidence. It sounds like a very convenient time to give, um, you know, well, this is why he did this, right? Where people would say, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Where a lot of people said that. Well, obviously he killed himself because he was going to get extradited to America. And it's like, no, that's not what happened. Oh, I was thinking more of, um, more of, um, mechanically, like how somebody could kill him if he's got to change the routine of just being in jail all day long and going out to court and then coming back in. I mean, there's a lot, there's a different kind of, uh, logistical process there. Yes, that is true. I will. Okay. I was thinking about something else. Yeah. yeah, No, but that, no, but but yeah. 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 I mean, it makes sense in both ways. Yeah. And and what was he ultimately being charged for in the states? Wasn't it just tax stuff? It was tax. Yeah, it was tax related. So um, was he like? Was it, he looking at life in jail if he even got back no, to the states? No. I feel like oh he could God, have just no. negotiated his way out of this and been a free citizen in a couple of years anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. He was definitely not looking at a life sentence or anything. The the tax charges were a slap on the wrist at the most. Um, they did try to piggyback then another situation from the SEC, which would have been a little more negotiating, but still no prison time. None, none of the attorneys were talking about prison time for, for uh, what he was dealing with. And so, um, yeah, this is, we're not, we're not talking about, you know, so it's um, not like a Julian Assange extradition no. where they're sticking you in a hole in the bar someplace and you're never going to see the light of day again it's just you know more headaches arguably less mm-hmm. headaches than he'd been dealing with for the last year and a half yeah. i mean there was a concern that him um you know obviously they would try to silence him um if if he was brought back to america that was obviously um a concern but his concern honestly was he wasn't concerned that he was going to get extradited like that was nobody's concern none no one's you know we the there was already a plan in place with the attorneys working on um you know preventing that from happening you know and so um that like i said it just wasn't a concern that any of us were thinking about and and nor were was it a concern for me to think that he you know he wouldn't be here still you know um so it seems like, I mean, obviously, with the nature of the McAfee business, uh, McAfee uh, antivirus was all of all of, all of our computers. Um, the intelligence agencies must have loved that. So clearly, John was at odds with Canadian, t- or sorry, American intelligence agencies. Yeah. Um, that's kind of who I'm looking at as the number one suspect in this. Is it a CIA or something like that? John seemingly knew more than he should have. Well, um, honestly, I'm not. I don't want to get into naming subjects or or, or suspects. I should say, um, but definitely his antivirus was was very important to the intelligence community. I think his um, some of his first clients were the military, U.S. military. Um, 
CIA, FBI, you know, all of the three-letter agencies. And and yes, of course, he would have known um, known more or had access to more information than the average citizen, of course. Um, but he always felt like his issues were not the agencies themselves, like um, as a whole, but rather rogue agents within those agencies that were um, problematic for him. Almost like personal vendettas from stuff that maybe they were doing that they shouldn't have done. Possibly, yeah, possibly. I, I can't, I can't speak yeah. to that exactly, but I can, but I know that he's spoken about um, what his concerns were, and and that was his concerns that it was you know rogue agents, you know, working outside of of you know what the agency you know called for them to do, um, whether it was a vendetta or whether it was you know being contracted by someone to hey. I, I got a job for you. I need this handled, handle it, you know? Um, so uh, either way, that was, that was his concern. And now we're at, we must be at 700 days now without, without his remains being released. Yeah. So um, I'll just, just about almost, so we're almost at the tier mark. Um, and uh, yeah, without his remains being released. So what's, what's happening, let me explain that what's happening. So, uh, the prison, when he was, um, obviously after he died, the prison immediately opened up an investigation into his death. And um, so in their report, they, um, they um, there was just some information that was given. I'm sorry. There was some information that was given and spoken about that is contrary to what the official story is of John killing himself. And so from that, I asked for the autopsy report. Now, the autopsy report is not something that they normally give out here in Spain. It's not something that they just regularly give. Um, it's not standard procedure. However, when it is asked for, it is given. And and so I asked for it, and the response from the response from the courts was that um, we didn't need it because the toxicology report was more than enough. And so me being me, you know, um, when you tell me I can have something, well, now I really want it because why, why are you keeping this from me now? Now, now I need to know what's in there because now, because there's already a discrepancy in your investigative report. Already. So sorry to interrupt, but that toxicology, I guess, would just like rule out poisoning, I guess, or overdosing. That was yeah. all they sort of gave you as he wasn't poisoned. We'll tell you that much. Right. What drugs may or may not have been in his system at the time yet. And so, um, and so I asked my attorney to file an appeal because they were trying to close the investigation without releasing the autopsy report. And it was explained to me that if I allowed them to do that, I could not then come back and say, I want the autopsy report. Like I had to get it before the investigation was closed or else I'd never have an opportunity to do it, to get it. And so um, I asked the attorney to file the appeal. However, I did not know at the time that they were going to continue to keep his body in, in, his, in their custody. I didn't know that, yeah. nor did I know that it was going to take, um, you know, their deadline to respond was going to be six to eight months. I didn't know that either. I, just, I had found that out um, after the first anniversary of his death was when I found that out. And this appeal was made in February of, of 2022, so earlier in the year. Um, and so I'm finding out all these things later. Now, in hindsight, would I have not done this? I don't think so, because I feel like, honestly, if I would have just said, okay, I'll accept what you're saying, then that would make me look complicit in his, in his death, you know, and, and, and I'm not, you know, I, I don't, I didn't want him to, I didn't want this to be how things ended for him, you know, and, and I will, let me just veer off here on a little bit of a tangent, but I, there's nothing I want more than for him to be alive somewhere. I would love that. I would love for somebody to put a video online of him that I haven't seen before. That's not old, right? I would love to see him come out and say, yeah, fuckers, you know, I, I did it again. You know, I'd love for that to be the truth of the situation, but from what I'm seeing, 
There is no new information. There is no new videos. There, I've not gotten anything. You know, I, I highly doubt that he would not have reached out to me, especially if, if he's on Twitter. I mean, not Twitter, but on Telegram. If we're going to believe that that's John McAfee on Telegram and he's running this Q operation, it's like, okay, well, then he can very easily reach out to me and say, hey, you know, I'm okay. You know, um, keep doing what you're doing or, you know, go home now. You know, your kids are missing you, right? Like he would have done that. And so, um, so I just, getting this autopsy report is, is, it just seemed like it was really important because it, just because they said that I, I couldn't have it. And, and, and I just felt like, obviously it's going to tell, you know, what exactly was the cause of death. And it's a very detailed thing. At least that's what I know of autopsy reports from watching you know, TV, forensics, things, you know what I'm saying? I don't know a lot about this, but I would imagine it's very detailed and it will explain exactly, you know, what happened or exactly how he, he, um, he died. And so, um, that's kind of where, where I kind of have settled with this, you know, that I need, need this information and I'm willing to, to however long it takes, I'm, I'm just going to do what I can to get it. Yeah. Has there been any indication that the prison suspects foul play? Is there any chance that they're maybe doing a deeper investigation in the background or anything like that that maybe they don't want to mention because they suspect, you know, some some foul play or? Um, I don't want to speak to that necessarily because I don't, I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But I will yeah. say this: the fact that they opened an investigation says a lot, right? You know, because if this was just an opening and shut, would have been, suicide, yeah, exactly. which is what the news reported, right? Immediately before they even did an autopsy report, before his before his body was even moved from his cell, the news had already had the story. And so, but the prison opened an investigation. So I think that that answers that question. Yeah, I feel like if it was a jail in the U.S. or and you know, it would just be like no investigation. Case right, like Jeffrey Epstein. suicides probably don't get investigated. Right, right. So, how many people have been actually murdered in prisons? You know, and and this prison in particular, where John was, you know, and and but it was you know claimed to be a suicide. You know, because a lot of people aren't going to um, invest whatever time it's going to take, and and maybe a lot of people don't have the means to, or or maybe they're just, you know. At the in the moment, just taken up with the grief, which obviously I was, but at the same time, though, it's like, well, I know my husband. I spoke to him, you know, we spoke, and I know where his um, state of mind wasn't. I can, I'll say it that way, you know, he wasn't depressed. He he wasn't, you know, desperate and just, you know, I can't take this anymore. That's that's not where he was, you know. He was definitely very much ready for. The, the next stages of the fight. Um, we spoke about after he came back from from the um, extradition hearing. We spoke about what the next steps were going to be with the attorneys. When his attorney was going to come and see him, which was going to be that Friday, to talk about the next steps. Um, so this is where his mind was. You know, it, it wasn't on oh God, you know, woe is me, and I just can't take this anymore. That, that's just not what it was. You know. So I wasn't going to go there, but but you brought it up. So I'll pull on it and see if it's something we can go on. But I mean, there obviously there was a lot of people uh, a few years ago when it was in the ripe that thought John was in a unique position to possibly be Q. Now, I don't think John's running a telegram right now or not contacting anyone. But the state did seem especially intent on shutting him up for taxes. I mean, it did seem like there was something going on behind the scenes. I mean, when we talked to John, we talked about it with him, how it, it was like this weird movie where you're chasing spies around. And it's just like uh, to go after someone that, like you say, should have just been, you know, a slap on the wrist or something like that. Now, um, obviously, you don't have to answer that if you don't want to. But, you know, there's obviously those rumors have been out there from from day one that John has been in this unique position and he's been accused of being Q. That's not my personal thing. I think Q is sort of a honeypot thing that they're just sort of shutting us up and keeping us busy. Plan, plan keeping us busy. Exactly. But, uh, 
It would be nice to just hear your comments on that, if you don't mind to sort of put that bed once and for all. Definitely. Definitely. So about the Q situation. So I was very, um, it was something that I um, was, was vaguely interested in because it was very, you know, interesting things that they were talking about, you know, um, and obviously there is a lot of sick things that are happening in the world. Definitely. I think we can all agree on that. And, and we'll maybe caveat that by saying I was into the Q thing for a while yeah. too. For the first couple of months, mm -hmm. it was like, cool, what's this? And then it just started, you know, veering yeah. out of control. And I think it's still going. Yeah, it is. It is still going. And and so there is something there, obviously. And 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 these people that are that were into it obviously they were able to get information and collect these things and you know so they they do have solid information i believe but a lot of them get off on you know these other things that don't that are more conspiracy minded if you will you know as opposed to staying focused on okay this is what we can show or or I don't know. Well, let, maybe let me not dig too much deeper into that. But it was interesting, and and I would share a lot of the times with John before he went to prison. You know, hey, this is what they're look at this Q stuff, and he always felt like it was a psyop, and he would tell me, you know, don't get too involved in that because that's you know that's just it's a psyop, and that's just how I feel. Now I don't know if he spoke about that publicly, but that's what he shared with me. And then also another thing I hear about people talk about is. The, there was an Instagram page um, that said it it was John's official official McAfee Instagram page, and there was a cue that was posted on his page. I think sometime around his death. Okay, and so I will tell everyone that that Instagram page was not John's. It's not something that he ran. It's not something that anyone ran for him. Um, he actually tried to gain control over the Instagram when he was running for president in 2016, and um, I think he found out who was running it, but he said to just let leave it alone, you know, let it let it be. Now, I don't know if that was because the person wanted, you know, money for, you know, to give up control or, or what the reason was. But I will say again, John was not in control of that Instagram page. So whoever posted the queue there, I don't know. I don't think it had anything to do with John or was related to him in any way. Um, and so. Now, moving on to why they were after him, I think John has spoken about this numerous times, and so I feel comfortable sharing this. Um, so he he believed, he was in, under the full um, impression that his issues that were happening with him were just a continuance of what happened to him in Belize. And what sparked what happened in Belize had nothing to do um, with his neighbor being murdered, but it had to do with the fact that John had gifted computers to secretaries within the um, that that worked for high up um, officials within the Belizean government, and and it had keystroke logging or malware, something on the computers where he could gain access and you know listen or whatever it was that he needed or wanted to do. And the reason that he did this is because he had um, he was working on a topical antivirus in Belize and the plant because the plant that he was using for it was native to the the jungle area where he was. And that's not why he went to Belize, but he he told me that the reason why he was working on the the topical antivirus was because he was getting ate up by different bugs in the jungle. And when I met him, he actually had all over his arms and legs, you know, old bite marks. And so he was a problem solver. And so he was like, OK, let me figure out how to you know, solve these issues. And so he had come up, you know, made some samples and was giving it, giving it out to the locals and it was working. And so anyways, the, he had he said there was two representatives that came from from the government that asked him if he was interested in donating $2 million to, um, I don't know if it was a specific campaign or just in general, just donate $2 million. And for that, he would get special perks on the island, women, land, um, whatever it was that he needed or wanted. And he declined. And so um, he said about a week after that, they came and raided his property with the, the GSU, which is the gang gang suppression unit in Belize. They came and raided his property and destroyed um, his lab. 
and they arrested him for a gun charge. They, they said it was illegal, but he produced the license for it. So they ended up dropping that and letting him go. Letting him go. And then after that, the same representatives came back and asked him if he had reconsidered his donation. And so he's obviously said, no, I haven't. And, and um, he said that for him, that ignited this rage in him. Well, not rage, but he was angry and he wanted an apology and he wanted to prove that they um, had set him up for the raid. And instead of finding out that information, he instead found out about um, human trafficking, drug trafficking, wow. money laundering, um, all sorts of illegal, nefarious activities that are, were being perpetrated by, you know, some of the highest officials within the government of, of Belize. And also, you can imagine it's the Caribbean. So you can imagine who are the type of people that may or may not be laundering money through um, this Caribbean nation or or, or what um, sort of tentacles would be stretched out from Belize, from the Caribbean to different governments, you know, it being so close to America. So you can imagine what high up officials even within our own government um, might have gotten their information revealed to him. So he had a lot of information um, that obviously he felt put him in danger. And from that point, um, so he had he had a group of people that were working on parsing the information. So basically going through and, and finding the information that was relevant to John. Right. And so one of the young ladies that was doing this was sleeping with someone within the GSU, I believe. And over some pillow talk, she shared, you know, over oh, doing this thing for John McAfee. And so that's how they found out what he was doing and what what information he, he possibly could have gotten a hold to. And he said from there he had been, you know, on the run from the from the Belizean authorities within while he was still in Belize. So he had different properties throughout, I guess, throughout the island. And so he was having to hide out. And he said that went on throughout the summer. And then, you know, when his neighbor was killed, he always felt that it was a botched hit on himself, as opposed to um, um, someone trying to frame him for, for, for it. He felt like they went to the wrong house, whoever was sent they they went to the wrong house because they were they weren't next door neighbors so their houses weren't like you know right next to each other but it's a beach you know and obviously a big big property and so they were next you know they were next to each other their properties but there was a great distance so anyways that's what he felt like it was just a mistaken um a hit a mistaken hit on him and and from there i think everybody knows what happened you know after that and so these problems followed him to miami which is where i met him and um when i when i met him i was working as a prostitute in miami and i had a pimp who was beating me and so my pimp was actually contacted by um, a sinaloa cartel representative who they had worked out this agreement and my pimp was paid and he had given this representative assurances that I would cooperate with them to, you know, be their middleman, if you will. And so, um, so I definitely know the threat was real. It wasn't, you know, this wasn't a fabricated situation. Why they were after him, I didn't know why, you know, why the cartel was after them, after him, but um, if you know anything about America, you know, the cartels, they, they have free reign in our country, you know, moving their drugs, moving, you know, human trafficking, all of that, you know, so um, it would, it would, it would make sense that they would go after or that if this problem, like he believed came from Belize, that they would then task, you know, the situation to the cartel because they can move freely within the country with no problem. And so, um, that kind of, I, I guess, kind of put a little uh, dark cloud over our relationship the first couple of years because my family was threatened. You know, my children were threatened. Um, you know, I would have people come and follow me when I would go and see my children. And and it was a real concern, but I didn't trust John. You know, I didn't trust him to keep me safe, nor did I trust that he would believe what the situation was. So I handled it the best way that I could, which was, you know, giving the 
you know, my pimp the illusion of me cooperating. I mean, I'd give them, you know, just a little bit of information, not nothing that they could really do any harm to him with. And then at the same time, I would try to tell John, hey, this is, you know, um, I never told him, hey, this is what people are talking about or planning to do to you. But I would tell him how to protect himself, you know, from the things that they were asking me to do. So they would ask me to park his car in, in a specific place. And I would tell him, you know what, park your car in our parking garage. Don't leave it out on the street um, or or don't drive yourself around. Have somebody with you, you know, make sure you're not by yourself just because that was what they were trying to do. Catch him alone. They were trying to, um, I'm assuming, maybe do something to disable the vehicle so that when he would be out on his own, you know, they could, um, you know, make it easier for him to be collected because murdering him or killing him was not what they wanted to do. They wanted to collect him, which is why he was able to. Um, which is why he was able to to maneuver and, and get away, I guess is the way to say it, because they weren't just out to kill him, you know, and, and he it, he was a very difficult person to try to collect. You know, you're not just going to sneak up on John McAfee. It's not happening. And so um, and, and I had a vested interest in that because I understood whatever happened to John happened to me. But, uh, you know, 100 times worse, you know, so it was in my best interest to make sure he stayed healthy because if he stayed healthy, I stayed healthy. And so that was how we kind of weathered that dark time, you know, because he understood, okay, where, you know, he understood that I understood that him staying alive meant I stayed alive. And so um, and from that, that's how we built our relationship. And now I guess we, we lasted and continued. It wasn't just because he was oh so in love with me and because I'm so great. It had nothing to do with that. It just was real. You know, we had a real partnership. You know, I I watched his back genuinely because like I just said, you know, what happened to him happened to me and he could trust that. And can you can you talk about the the sort of the point of time when when you, your trust built to the point where you know, you got through that dark part? Um so yeah, no, there was no thing that happened. Actually, what what happened? Um, the trust didn't happen. It it came out of necessity because in 2014, the summer of 2014, we were um, in Boston. We were meeting with some producers to do. They were going to work on a documentary with John, and he and I got into a fight. And I left the hotel, and this cartel representative was there. Mind you, this person was a part of. Um, our lives, you know, um, if I say his name, people will know he, he's, you know, was working with John. So anyways, so this person was there. So I can only assume that maybe he had a hand in this. But anyways, so we're we're fighting. I leave the hotel and I'm looking for somewhere to go buy some cigarettes. And um, there was a, like a, um, a bus depot next to the hotel where there was a parking garage. This person tells me where to go get cigarettes. And so I walk through the parking garage um, and immediately when I come out of the parking garage, there's a man sitting in the car, just sitting in his car with the windows down, not smoking a cigarette, not reading a book, not on his phone, not reading a newspaper, just sitting there. So immediately my spidey senses are picked up, you know, uh, now I'm on guard. What's happening here? So I'm watching this purpose. I get my cigarettes. I, you know, stand and just watch the car traffic, people traffic, and I'm keeping my eye on this person. And he. He just he just was out of place is is the thing. Um, now, because of my experience as a prostitute, obviously uh, being aware of your surroundings and, and potential danger is something that keeps you safe and keeps you alive. Right. And so um, this is just something survival instincts that were just that were and are still just very natural to me. And so um, now I'm. I see this person, I clock him, that's fine. And now I'm just starting to make my way back to the hotel. But I don't go back to the parking garage because that's the, the worst place to go to if you think that there is potential danger because it's very easy for you to be kidnapped or harmed if you're in a parking garage. And so I walk down. So basically I was just going to make like a square back around to where the hotel was. So I'm walking um, down the street and this woman starts walking towards me. She crosses the street from the stoplight. She's walking towards me, but something about her was strange. And so I just randomly stopped walking and um, just so I could watch her. And then she, she, 
turns around to see where I am. And she kind of was like, oh, surprise, because she saw that I had stopped and was looking at her. So now she's like, okay. And so me being me, I was always very cheeky. I said, I saw you, ma'am. So you could keep going now. You've been made. And <laughs> so she kept walking. It's just something I, I liked to do. Um, so anyways, I get around to where the, now I'm on the street where the hotel is. And I'm just, you know, maybe five minutes walking from it. And as I'm crossing the street to get to the hotel, three men, three black men, just come out of nowhere and are immediately behind me. And they're kind of, you know, I've got, so they're kind of, you know, one on each side, they're walking behind me, but one on each side and then one like right directly behind me. And so, you know, immediately I'm like, okay, what, what do I need to do here? So as I'm walking, then I see this um, Mexican guy with tattoos all over his face. And he's sitting across from a panel van, which if you know anything about panel vans, again, that's the kidnapping van, right? It's And it's not, it's not a game for the listeners. You know, it's serious, you know, be, be very leery of uh, panel vans because it's obviously an easy way to put people in. And a lot of times people don't realize these things are, are um, soundproof. They have ways of soundproofing them. So you could scream and, and no one would hear you. And, um, and so he's sitting there across from this van. And so immediately I'm like, okay, I need to move away from here. And I just dart across the street before I get to the van, before anything can happen to me. And um, so after that, John and I, you know, I, I told John what happened and he's like, okay, we got to get out of here. So then we saw some, um, one of the business people that were with us was on Twitter and someone had tweeted out that John, it said John McAfee and it said the name of the cell phone store and the city and state it was in. Now this cell phone store we were at the day before we had gotten, um, we had purchased this new cell phones there because obviously John wanted new phones that people weren't tracking. So that just kind of confirmed that obviously there was a presence, there was something happening there. And so we flew to Europe and that's when basically I told them what happened just because of that situation, uh, almost getting kidnapped. And, and that's when we discussed, you know, all of the dirty details of, of everything, and which he already knew, um, which he said, he's like, you know, I already knew all of this. You know, I just was waiting for you to tell me, you know, that what was going on, you know, because I understood, you know, what was happening and the threat that was against you and, and all of that. And I, you know, but like I said, I just didn't trust him or trust that he would believe me. So, um, so yeah, that's how, that's how we got past that. Thank you for explaining all that. Yeah. 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 I hope it wasn't too long, but no, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just because um, it's something that happened to me, you know, and yeah. something that had nothing to do with John. But I think what the problem was for and why they wanted to remove me was because I was a problem for people. I was interfering. I was I was uh, preventing what they were trying to do to John from happening. So um, they just wanted to get me out of the way. And there were a lot of women that came that were they were trying to put in my place, you know, that were trying to you know, kind of take that place or whatever. As it, at this situation, it was not unique to me, meaning I wasn't the only one. And there, yeah. were, there are a lot of people that came in and out of John's life that were maybe not necessarily sent by the cartel, but definitely sent to, you know, whether it was blackmailing him or stealing money from him or, or to uh, help physically do harm to him. It, there was just a, a constant like a revolving door of people that came in and out of his life with that, with that purpose. Um, so I think that also was why he kind of kept me as well, because it was like, if, if it wasn't me, then it would be another woman. And then he'd have to get to know her and figure out who she was and, and would she be as street smart as I am? Would she be, you know, so I, I would assume, you know, staying with the evil that he knew, if you will, right. And fleeing to the unknown. How was it like for you guys when you went to Europe? Was that like a weight off your shoulders at all? Did that sort of, did that sort of part enable sort of a, a stronger trust and bond to be built? Yes, yes, it did. It was it was stressful because I was, you know, obviously still concerned that maybe it would be um, it would follow you there know, too. Yeah, yeah. 
honestly. And and I wasn't sure how he would take it. You know, I wasn't sure how, I don't know, if, if we could be cool again after that. You know, after, yeah. you know, kind of laying that bare, even though he said he already knew. But still, though, you know, there's still like, you know, I understand why you did it. But still, though, you still did it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's still, yeah. You know, and so it was, it, it took a little bit of time, you know, we didn't just get back into the flow of things, you know, it, and it wasn't perfect. We didn't have a perfect relationship, but that partnership stayed solid throughout, you know, yeah. solid what, what was it like being with sort of a famous, a famous sort of guy who can be, you know, super funny, a bit of a troll, a bit of a, um, you know, just causing, causing sort of waves and havoc as he goes along. I mean, that must've been interesting for you. Um, you know what, honestly, he was just John to me, you know, that's, that's who I met when I met him that first day. He was just John. He was the same John. He was authentic, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was just, that's it. You know, and obviously I got to know the, that public figure side of him, you know, which, you know, kind of leaning into that, um, kind of crazy personality, right. Where you don't know what he's going to say, that troll, you know, or that, um, you know, um, fun guy or a drug or, you know, people have a lot of things that they assumed about him and he would lean into a lot of the, um, the headlines that were put out about him, but people would be surprised to know that he was actually a lot more square than, um, than what he put out online, you know, on Twitter, he was definitely very hardcore about no weed, no drugs, none of that. Like he was super hardcore about that. Um, cause obviously it would put him in danger. It could possibly, he didn't want to give the police or any authorities any reason to come and, and harass him, you know, because of what was happening. And for yeah. him as well, there was a concern that if they would be real officers, you know. And so a lot of times, not a lot of times, but every time we moved somewhere, he would go to the local, either the sheriff or the local police department. And he'd tell them, you know, explained his situation and say, you know, listen, I would appreciate it if there if there is anything that ever comes across your desk like a warrant or something to give me a call first because I want to make sure that it's it's a real thing you know as opposed to because if if they did show up on un, unannounced you know he's going to you know protect and defend himself, himself. yeah because he's not sure and and it's you know that's something obviously that would be a concern in America you know people can get fake police uniforms or, you know, um, or it could be an actual officer who might be off duty though. And so it just was a, a valid concern of his that he, you know, tried to take up precautions against. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the telegram and the Instagram and all that, because that was some, that was some sort of points or questions I had here is to give you a chance to kind of answer some of those conspiracies, right? That the telegram is not his, the Instagram is not from him. Those videos that are going on, everybody's like, oh, these, these videos, they're not new, right? No, 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 no. They're, they're, no, I've, the videos that I've seen, right? I, I don't know what else is out there, but the ones that I've seen, the ones that people are sharing, they are, they are old, um, you know, and they, they're all, the videos, especially with him in the uh, Faraday cage, those were when we first got to Europe. Um, and then we obviously got, got things upgraded from the, from the foil that you see. And, um, <laughs> but it was just necessary to keep our communications private. Do you want to talk about the, the foundation, the foundation for the future? I mean, cause it, it's yeah. such an interesting time right now too, because of the stuff that John and you stood for, you know, freedom, privacy, technology. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So um, the foundation was started, um, obviously, because it's a way to continue John's legacy, which is what we want to do, which is what I want to do to honor um, what he stood for. You know, and I think just to keep keep that in mind, because obviously that gets lost in the headlines and it gets lost in maybe some of his tweets, some of his um, antics, you know, that he um often engaged in, which, you know, he enjoyed, right? If he got bored, he'd do something to, you know, cure that boredom. But I think people um, need to understand where he stood on these things and how how wise he was on them, you know, and the, that wisdom that he just tried to impart, you know, in between the antics. And and a lot of people don't, don't know that about him, how 
profound, profoundly uh, wise he was on on a whole host of different subjects, and and he spent a lot of, you know, his months leading up to him going to prison, um, making videos. I have hundreds of hundreds of videos of just him talking about any given subject, and so I just it the foundation was created in a way as a way to honor that legacy of him and, and kind of continue that messaging and also as well to bring attention to what's happening here in Spain and the fact that I'm still, you know, fighting to get his remains and get the autopsy report released. So it's just a way to, to keep people up to date with that and also continue to further his, his legacy. Yeah. Yeah. You're still waiting for the remains too, right? Yeah. Is there anything you feel like we didn't we didn't catch with this interview yet that you want to get out there before we start to wrap up? And can we count on you to maybe come back if we do get some news down the road to sort of maybe at least get some closure on this? Yeah, of course. I'd be I'd be happy to come back on. Um I think I touched on everything. I think um I shared everything. You know, I I try to share as much as I can because I want people to be able to hear things from me. Um, because I, I, I won't say that I knew John better than anybody on the planet, but I did know him better than most. Um, and, and I want to be honest and forthcoming with, with his followers. I want you guys to, to know what I know. Obviously I'm not going to share every little bitty thing because there's things that, um, may potentially put me in danger. Um, and also there's just things that I, you know, that I just don't want to share everything. Right. I want to keep some things. You know, close to my heart, but I but I want people to understand where I am in my thinking with this, and and I don't, I especially don't want people believing that he's alive based on the false things that are being put out there right now. I don't want to give anybody any false hope. You know, um, again, there's no one on this planet that would want him to be alive more than I do. I want that, but I also want people to understand that the things that are being put up now are not him. They're not him. They're not what I know from him, right? He he wasn't on Telegram. That again, that Instagram was not his. It's not something that he controlled or that anyone controlled for him. And I think the same about the Telegram page. Um, again, what he said to me about the Q movement is that he felt it was a psyop. And so I just want people to understand that. Now, you're still free to make your own decisions about that. That's fine. But at least you have um, you have my opinion on the situation, someone who was close to John and, and can share that. And um, anything else that I want to touch on? Just one last thing, which is something John would always say when he would end his, his uh, interviews. And that's do what you love, you know, do only what you love in life. Right. Because otherwise, why are you doing it? You know, life is too short to waste time doing something, anything, doing anything other than what you love, you know, um, because you're you're losing out. You're not fulfilling whatever um, desires you have. And you're if you have children, they're missing out on the authentic you, you know, um, and the world is missing out on the authentic you. So that's why you need to do what you love, especially with the craziness that's happening in the world as it is right now, you know? I love yeah, I appreciate that. that. I got to say that John told us that twice, mm-hmm. and as well as some other things that sort of propelled us down the road that we're probably on now. Um, you know, Graham's not working anymore. We're doing, he's doing this full time. We've taken a chance on some other business ventures. And I've always credited the first time we interviewed John uh, to a lot of that where he was just sort of like, uh, obviously I'm paraphrasing, but it was just like, hey man, I feel like if you guys take a chance on things, you'll be smart enough to go get another job before you fucking starve to death. So you might as well just try it. And it always sort of stuck with us. And, you know, those chats with John have always been sort of special because he, I feel like him and I share an outlook on life in, in a lot of ways. So... I just like to say thanks for coming on and getting our listeners sort of up to speed. He's definitely an all-time favorite guest around here among the audience. And uh, so, yeah, thanks for coming on and doing this. I'm sure it's going to be super hard for you. Um, 
And but we would love to. We're super happy for everything you're doing. We're proud of you for the foundation and all that stuff. And we would love to, you know, if there's any news, if there's anything you want to get out to the wider world, uh, anytime, just let us know, and we'll be happy to have you on again. Yeah, hopefully, you can get the remains and the autopsy soon too. Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I that would be amazing. Yeah, and so of course I would love to come and, and give an update. And and I hope everyone has found this information useful. And um, yeah, definitely we'll be updating people. So if you want to stay um, up to date with what's happening, I'll be you know I'm on Twitter. You can follow me there at the Mrs. McAfee. Also, the foundation will keep everyone up to date as well. In between, you know, doing doing these interviews. Excellent. Thank you very much. We'll put links in the show notes to all that, all your stuff. Thank you. Thanks, Janice. Thanks for taking some time out of your afternoon and having a tough conversation with us. And we hope the rest of your day is great. Yeah, same to you. Thank you, Graham and Darren, for okay. having me. Take care. Okay. Yeah. Bye bye. And that was a chat with Janice McAfee. What'd you think, buddy? McCaffrey. Oh, I was blown I away. Pronounced. I mean, I really didn't expect to. Sorry, what'd you say? I always pronounce the last name wrong. Yeah. I uh, I didn't expect to go into all those details, but I'm glad uh, I'm glad we did. She, you know, I was I wasn't going to really ask her about that that time when they got together, but it was it was great to hear all that. I just want to read quickly the legacy of a legend. The JMF believes that the principles uh, John McAfee championed and lived are the roadmap to a better future for human civilization. So it's freedom, privacy, and technology, the right of all human beings to build their life and explore their destiny free of undue restraint. Privacy, the right of human beings to conduct private transactions of speech, value, and sentiment with others. And technology, the empowering tools and ecosystems people can use to build a better future for everyone. There you have it. Big thanks to Janice for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. I mean, hey, you've got the tool in your hand to help build a better Grimerica by heading over to grimerica.ca slash support today and signing up for a monthly or making a one-time donation and helping us keep uh, growing the empire over here. If you want those audiobooks over at adultbrain.ca, everything else we do is at grimerica.ca. Uh, our other podcast, grimericaoutlaw.ca, would have been great to have John on that one, but uh, just didn't exist yet. Yeah, I like what you said about about what he said on the podcast, That was the inspiration about just getting after it, you know? Yeah, he's probably, you know, in some weird ways, one of the most inspirational people we've ever had on. But then sort of just not an inspirational, um, uh, traditional inspirational sort of. But definitely a mindset was right where the good ones tend to be. So, yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, We'll end it there. Sort of, It ended up going an hour, which is longer than expected. Of course, there's a bonus episode. Hit you up with a few bonus episodes. You got the Janice episode if the Bud one hasn't come out yet, but that's another bonus episode that's coming out right away about the Oka crisis, which most of you probably have never even heard of. But uh, it's a good one. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, I think that's it. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Somehow I built a rocket ship out of the stuff dreams are made Popsicle sticks Please look at my rocket ship schematics Tell me it can fly to the moon Tell me I'm not a lunatic
Silver stone.